0: Welcome to Repros Fight Back, a podcast on all things repro. I'm your host, Jenny Wetter. In each episode, I will be taking you to the front lines of the escalating fight over our sexual and reproductive health and rights at home and abroad. Each episode, I will be speaking with leaders who are fighting to protect our reproductive health and rights to ensure that no one's reproductive health depends on where they live. It's time for Repros to fight back. Welcome to this week's episode of Repro Spite Back. I'm really excited to have two amazing advocates with me to talk about child marriage. Uh, First, I have Gayatri Patel with CARE. Uh, She's also a co-chair of Girls Not Brides US. Um, And I also have Nadal Krim, who is with CARE as well um, and is in charge of their Tipping Point program. Welcome, ladies.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here.
0: Hi. Uh, Hi. Okay, so since we're going to talk about child marriage, I think it's a really important place to start. What is child marriage? What do we mean when we say child marriage?
2: Um, thanks. So I'm going to give a very technical definition because um, it's a fraught term. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we usually hear about child marriage. The term, the more kind of comprehensive term that we typically use is child early and forced marriage um, because it is a, a broader expansive definition. Um, When we talk about child marriage, it is specifically where at least one of the parties is a child. And according to the Convention on the Rights of Child, that is under 18. Um, At the same time, we also talk about early marriages, which are marriages that involve a person aged below 18 in countries where the age of majority is attained earlier Or upon marriage or marriages where both spouses are 18 or older, but there are other factors that make them not ready to consent to marriage, um, such as their level of physical, emotional, sexual, and psychosocial development, or a lack of information regarding the person's life options. And then we have the concept of forced marriage, which is any marriage which occurs without the full and free consent of one or both parties and or where one or both parties is unable to end or leave the marriage, including as a result of duress or intense social or family pressure. So while we, you know, in short, often you'll hear child marriage, but we're really talking about
0: something that is a little
2: bit more expansive than that. So
0: you touched this a little bit that it looks different. Let's talk a little bit about what it looks like around the world, because it is different in different places. Uh, In terms of the data on child marriage,
2: the data is specifically on how I define child marriage, which is marriage under the age of 18. Um, And the latest data, which came out a few months ago uh, from the UN, has estimates of about 12 million girls per year who are married before the age of 18. Um, at the same time, when we kind of think about what does it look like around the world, child early enforced marriage is found in all religions and regions. Um, we typically think of it as, oh, it only happens in certain parts of the world, and that is not the case. Um, it's a phenomena that is not part of any single culture. Um, the way that it is practiced and the explanations that are given for it vary from one community to another. But the underlying causes are often similar. You know, when we look at it, there are these common themes around undervaluing girls, restricting them to specific kinds of gendered roles, which are domestic or reproductive roles. There is also patriarchal control over adolescent sexuality that plays out across societies, countries, regions. Also looking at um, aspects of gender based violence and fear of gender based violence that also works as a driver. And then finally, there is a piece which is like the commodification of girls in the marital exchange. Um, So, yeah, how it looks across the world, again, like there are context specific ways it shows up, but there are some underlying pieces that, you know, we see as
0: being pretty common across the board. And you touched on a couple of things that are really important. I think, you know, historically, the argument has been it's a cultural practice. And so we shouldn't be involved in changing people's culture. And then another one that you really hear is that it's the religion. And so I think it's really important. What you point out is that it doesn't really seem to matter.
2: Yeah. And I mean, interestingly, you know, when for our project, we work specifically in Nepal and Bangladesh. And one of the interesting things we saw that popped up when we were doing our context analysis was in Bangladesh, it's Muslim majority. um, But we do have Hindu communities where we work. In Nepal, where we work, it is Hindu majority, and then you have Muslim communities there. And when we did the context analysis, it was so interesting because in Bangladesh, they were using religion as a factor, and in Nepal, they were using religion as a factor, and the minority communities actually had lower rates. And so it was like, wait, so the Muslim communities in Nepal actually had lower rates, and in Bangladesh, the Hindu communities had lower rates. So in in a lot of ways that exemplify that, you know, how much of this is really about religion.
0: Mm -hmm. Since we're talking about ways to end child marriage, I think it's important to understand why that's important. So what are some of the harms we see from child marriage?
2: So, you know, when people talk about the issue, the first thing they usually talk about is maternal mortality and child mortality. That's like where everyone's head goes. Mm -hmm. But what I like to really focus in on is like just thinking about a girl who is married off at a young age with no choice around the issue and also just being explicit that 90 percent of the time that means that they're going to they're going to experience rape. And that is not something that's talked about, um, you know, kind of more openly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just really thinking about lifelong consequences, whether that's physical, emotional, um, they're kind of around material, financial um, pieces and psychological well-being of, of that girl. At the same time, you know, when you look at the research, um, Child rights have significant risk of having children at younger ages. Um, They do suffer complications with pregnancy and childbirth. Um, They usually have higher rates of HIV-AIDS contraction. So there's those pieces, but we also see they're they're also leaving school. They tend to live in poverty that uh, ends up being intergenerational um, than their peers who marry at a later age. Um, They're also more likely to experience intimate partner violence, The other piece of it is that, you know, the issue reaches beyond the girl herself. So at the end of the day, we see that extending into her children, her household and her community as a whole. So in a way, it's just kind of curtailing the potential of a young girl. And then all of that is lost because the opportunities have kind of been cut short.
0: Really thinking about what the girl and her future, she just doesn't have the chance to become empowered to make decisions, um, especially if she gets cut off from education.
2: There there are places where you see girls who do get married and are still able to continue their education, but that is... Few and far between. And so I think the norm is that most of the time they're not being able to pursue an education. And oftentimes, at least where we work, we've seen it's also not that they're able to engage in livelihood opportunities until they're older. And oftentimes when when you have uh, brides who are brought in at a younger age, they're seen as a source for um, labor in the household. Mm -hmm. And so it is kind of also an isolating space. You come into a household and, and you're really kind of limited to domestic and childcare childcare chores.
0: Um, so this is a podcast that talks about sexual and reproductive health and rights, which we'll probably call SRHR for short from here on out. But just that's what that means when we say that later. And so some people may wonder why I'm spending a podcast talking about child marriage. So you want to maybe talk about why child marriage is an SRHR issue? typically the answer you'll get is
2: well it's a maternal health issue um, so therefore it is an srhr issue what we like to really front with is we see child marriage deeply rooted around girl sexuality fear of girl sexuality control of girl sexuality which is an srhr issue mm-hmm. um, and so to us you know everything from comprehensive sexuality education to access to srhr services and information are critical pieces that play into this practice. Um, and so for us, SRHR is like one of the core pieces of uh, what is a driver as well as what can be a solution for this issue.
0: What can we do? How can we um, work on ending child marriage? <laughs> it's a real simple answer, like one sentence, right? Like most complex issues,
2: it's not like there's a silver bullet. I think there's a a, a hunger for a simple solution. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, that was, oh, education. Like, if we just provide education, this will go away. But I think more and more, um, there's consensus among all of us who are doing this work that this is a complicated issue. Um, it does have context-specific things that we have to pay attention to. and And I think... One of the core things is I think there's slowly more and more learning and research that is showing that there are some critical characteristics of how we approach it. So one that is, I think, um, in a, I think most of us are in agreement is having girl-centered approaches. Like whatever we're doing, we it, the, the girls have to be at the center of it. Another core thing, again, is though it can't be just about the girls. We can't expect them to be the ones who are going to change this. So, another core approach piece is really involving parents and communities um, and that that is really important. A third key piece I would say is engaging men and boys. Um, I think there's also a lot of consensus that this is not just about the girls who's who is creating the demand for this Um, and how what and, and also in a lot of places fathers play a huge role in this decision making so engaging men and boys is a critical part and then I think the part the the and And there's there's several more pieces, but the last piece I would speak to is we feel like there's something very important about the collectivization of girls and and finding ways to drive this change for girls together um to come together and be able to be part of this movement,
0: yeah, I think it's really great. We talked about the thinking about the whole of the girl. I think often, particularly with like funding silos, you could get so many things that are like. Let's focus on education and then sanitation and health and then sexual health and all these things are different. And so often then you don't see, well, let's think about the girl and her life and think of it as a holistic person. Her, Sorry, think of her as a holistic mm-hmm. person instead of thinking about all of the various pieces. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think um, at the at the Chien B, meeting chandra said it so well like girls are not where it's like monday i need school and tuesday i need i mean they're holistic beings and and what we um bring in as programming needs to address things in a holistic way um one thing i would add to it in, in the approach piece is where we've really been trying to um explore and invest as care but also others are is the piece around social norms Um, And I think one of the big lessons has been that often um, in many places you have families who um, their personal thinking is that they don't agree with it, but that there is um, there's a normative expectation. They think that others expect them or that there will be sanctions if they don't do what is expected of them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another kind of um, core area for child marriage um, programming that is being explored, that I think there's a lot of promising work in it, but it's, it's, it's a much more newer area of work, um, but definitely promising.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like I've not really heard that as much in the child marriage space, versus I've heard it more in the FGM space. When I think about the work Tostan's done on
2: FGM, like the, I feel like they did some really kind of groundbreaking work around norms, and now more of that conversation is happening in the child marriage space and also in the adolescent sexual reproductive health and rights space. I think that this is a moment that we're in where um, there's more and more kind of thoughtfulness and, and investment to think about how does change happen and, and what is this key piece that I, that we weren't, paying attention to and we need to um and that we're you know there's several of us you know in our project we've explored it um specifically um to look at you know how do we do norms change and how do we kind of design programming informing it using like principles from the theory around like social norms change
0: Um, Maybe we want to talk a little bit about uh, what CARE is doing around child marriage.
2: Um, Great question. So we actually just um, recently released a report about uh, CARE's global work on child early-enforced marriage, and we're working across several countries, and our work looks different in different places. There are some places where we have, you know, standalone programming such as Tipping Point, which, you know, uh, the project that I'm involved with is, uh, you know, it's focused on the issue. But a lot of our work happens where it's integrated into gender-based violence programming, into girls' education programming, into economic empowerment work. So it shows up in many different ways. What the report does is it lays out some of our kind of core approaches, and it includes some of the things I mentioned to you, such as social norms, engaging men and boys, um, and and working with governments and a Big piece, I think, beyond our programming in country, um, one of the other big things that CARE does is advocacy, um, which, you know, Gayatri will speak to more, but we do quite a bit also around advocacy in global spaces, but even with national governments and national spaces, because you need to kind of have the inner linkage of what you're doing in um, and, and programming, but taking that learning and actually being able to feed it up to policymakers
0: and, and funders and so on. Well, I think that leads us perfectly into policy. So uh, what is the... Gayatri, we'll change over to you. Uh, what is the U.S. doing around child marriage?
1: I mean, I think we need to start with what can the U.S. government be doing? I mean, yeah, absolutely. As the as U.S. government, as a, a, a leader purportedly in, in this space, um, we really look to the U.S. government to build child marriage and gender equality into its foreign policy work so what what are the u.s diplomats saying on the ground what are our usaid missions saying on the ground when they're working in these countries with high prevalence of child marriage and then secondly we look at to the u.s government to fund interventions and and programs that work on child marriage and gender equality around the world so with that in mind, we we really do refer back to this whole-of-government approach and whole-of-girl approach. And so Girls Not Brides USA and CARE USA have have put a lot of energy into making sure that what the U.S. government does to end child marriage is really substantive and driven by evidence and fact and really can, can have an impact on the ground. So in 2016, after a lot of really... Um, sustained advocacy and, and it really was a labor of love by civil society organizations. The US government launched what they call the US global strategy to empower adolescent girls. And this is really a, a key moment in policy when it came to to empowering adolescent girls because it it looked at the girl holistically like, like how Nadal was saying. It it talked about it set goals and objectives and 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 strategies for how to look at girls' education, how to look at girls' sexual and reproductive health, how to build comprehensive sexuality education into the, the work that the U.S. government is doing overseas. And really importantly, linked all of that to ending child marriage. And so it's really critical to have that, that whole of government, whole of girl strategy. And it really implicates the work of at least four U.S. government agencies, the State Department, the USAID, um, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, and the Peace Corps. And I guess the next step of it was to to make sure that it was implemented, make sure that it was something that the U.S. government really integrates into its work and really implements and, and has the resources to do that. So more recently gnb usa and care has been have been focusing on congress and what congress can do to shore up the the strategy so we've asked for foreign assistance allocations for the implementation of it we've asked for legislation that would make it a a, a plan that the us administration has to implement um so that's where our energy is right now
0: with a lot of our conversations we usually see a big change between what, so the girl strategy was under the Obama administration and then things changing under the Trump administration. Has child marriage seen a similar shift in prioritization? Sorry, it's late here when we're recording.
1: (laughs) It depends on who you ask. I mean, the, the agencies that are really involved in implementing the strategy, particularly the State Department and USAID, their thinking and and what they say is that they are still implementing it, that they're they're really working on socializing it amongst their staff and making sure that everyone knows that the strategy exists and knows that they have a responsibility to implement it. What we're seeing at the administration wide level is that there isn't as much emphasis on mm-hmm. what they consider niche issues like adolescent girls or gender equality. Um what you know, we are seeing that there's emphasis on women's economic empowerment. And so we've taken the tactic of, you know, if if that's an issue that this administration does want to work on, they really need to be aware that you can't get to, you know, genuine women's economic empowerment if you still have twelve million girls a year who are being married and who are who are not achieving an education, who are not entering the workforce, who don't have economic opportunities because they're at home taking care of household chores and taking on unpaid care burdens. We're trying to get the message across that there is still a, a really strong need for the U.S. government to play a policy role and a leadership role on empowering adolescent girls, and if they if they want to do if they want initiatives like women's economic empowerment they have to create an enabling environment to do that so yeah i mean i think we also need to take into account the global gag rule also known as mexico city policy and the impact it has on child marriage and adolescent girls for those who don't know about the policy or aren't as familiar with it It's a policy that's gone back and forth between administrations, but this administration has reinstituted it. And it basically says that the U.S. government can't provide funding to organizations that provide or promote abortion services. But what's dangerous is that this administration has expanded it even further to apply to all global health funds. So any funding that the U.S. government gives on any health issue overseas cannot be an organization that provides or promotes abortion, um, whether it's related to this funding or not. And so with what strikes me about this and what's particularly concerning about this is that it really narrows girls' ability to access the services and the information they need to live healthy lives and to, to make choices for themselves on if one and, and how many children to have. So it's you know, it's something from a policy perspective that we really need to think about and and critically push back against because it, it it is something that impacts the work that we're doing on ending child marriage.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to think about, you know, who's losing out on the money. You know, you a lot of the groups that are providing youth friendly services that um, these young women would be able would be wanting to access, or even comprehensive sexuality education are often groups that may have um, been doing abortion or been uh, advocating for abortion or had been funding abortion with their non us money in the past and now they are no longer going to be able to get. U.S. funding and may not be able to provide all the services they were in the past
1: or even just providing information about abortion. I mean, it's it's such a broadly applied Mm -hmm. rule and it 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 has such a ripple effect on on how it's impacting things. But I think in, in this whole narrative, what concerns me I, I, maybe not the most, because there are so many things that concern yeah. me. <laughs> but what's particularly concerning is that girls aren't getting access to information. It's not even just services; it's it's straight out information on how their bodies work, what their options are. What we are hearing today in in the Girls Not Brides conference is that comprehensive sexuality education is is not just about body parts, but it's also about healthy relationships and how to negotiate safety within relationships and so there's so much so much impact on gender-based violence and like Nadal was saying intimate partner violence within child marriages that could be averted with comprehensive sexuality education except for the fact that a lot of the organizations who are doing that type of education can't receive funding to do it anymore and so it's it's really something that concerns me from a policy angle but also from a service delivery angle. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to learn more about the Global Gag Rule, um, you can check
0: out Episode 5, um, where I talk to uh, Bjorn R. Snyder at the Center for Health and Gender Equity, and we do a deep dive in the Global Gag Rule, so you can um, check out more there. So now that people know a little bit about what's going on around child marriage and what has been happening in the U.S. government, uh, what can people do now that they care?
1: One thing I always tell Advocates and people who are interested is call your member of Congress. Tell them that this is an issue that's important to you. There's an immediate and urgent and evergreen need for foreign assistance funding. And right now it's incredibly at risk. There's, you know, the Trump administration has threatened to pull all foreign assistance, which would include any assistance that goes towards programs, um, geared towards empowering adolescent girls or ending child marriage. So we really need to send the message to Congress that they hold the purse strings. They should really be putting their their power and their energy and their voice behind funding a really strong foreign assistance budget, including programs for child marriage and, and gender gender inequality. But there are also legislative options. I mean, there's, there's a bill called the Keeping Girls in School Act that goes a long way in talking about the barriers to girls' education, including things like what Nadal talked about, the, the social norms that are holding girls back, um, the sexual harassment and the SRHR challenges that are keeping girls from actually accessing education and other opportunities. And so that's a bill that that we want to see a lot of support for. It's introduced in the Senate. It's hopefully going to be introduced in the House with bipartisan support very soon. Um, and we really want to see Congress take a strong statement that adolescent girls are a population of concern that the U.S. really cares about.
0: Thank you so much for being here, Gayatri and Nadal. Thank I, you I had a great time. Do you want to say cut? Cut. <laughs> <laughs> For more information, including show notes from this episode and previous episodes, please visit our website at reprosfightback.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at ReProsFightBack. If you like our show, please help others find it by sharing it with your friends and subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.